Morning, morning. Uh, as you would have heard, Brent, my name's Anthony, one of the leaders here, and it's, uh, yeah, I'm going to get cracking. First thing I'm going to do is put on a, a timer so I can see how long I'm going. Welcome. Uh, you heard my name, Anthony, and I'm married to my beautiful wife, Chantel, and we have two kids, and we are in week three of uh, Us With God series, and Gareth kicked us off with a little bit of an act lay of where we're going, and Brain last week um, spoke to us about prayer, and uh, this morning I have the privilege of speaking about a, a spiritual principle or um, discipline of uh, silence and solitude, silence and solitude, and uh, I'm going to start with a quote by A.W. Tozer, it said this, it is in silence that we begin to see and hear and then hear the pulsating heart of God. All of the nervous activity of our culture hinders us from really getting to know God as he desires to reveal himself. We must overcome this American, and I'm going to put in there, South African mindset that says a moment of silence is a moment wasted. The discipline of silence is the price we pay to get to know God. Silence and solitude. In preparing for this, um, a whole lot came up, but I want to start by saying that the cost that you and I put into the worldly distractions and uh, entertainments around us are massive, the cost that we put into that, in our gadgets, in our time, in our resources. And our message today, there's a question for you as an individual and for us as a community, is this, how, how do we get that balance a little bit right, where we justify a whole lot of expense and time into things and somehow miss it in having the same purpose of putting our time into getting to know God on a personal level. You see, God simply wants to spend time with you and me. And it's not because he needs us or needs a help or anything. That's the beauty of it. He literally just wants to be with you. And if we're honest, we need to get to wrestle this in our minds that too often, even when those moments are there, you and I grab for other distractions or other things. And we find ourselves easily drawn to those things. But, but in his goodness and his grace and his mercy, God lays out these spiritual disciplines that we're going to be hearing about, saying, that is all there, yes, but I'm going to speak to you about things that you can grab onto, that can have like a, a, a support rod when they're laying foundation, they don't just pour cement, they have to put in rods for what? To create strength and structural strength. And these things that we're talking about are like those steel rods that run down your spine and in your heart and in your mind that center you, that keep you secure. Without them, we just wobbly mass. And in silence and solitude essentially is just resting our minds with God. And I know it's a bad word for 2023, something we don't like to hear, but like all disciplines, this is going to take things called practice, commitment, <gasps> I can hear the terror running through your veins, time, <gasps> 
All those things that we're super allergic to when it comes to spiritual matters. But somehow we find ourselves completely dedicated to those words when it comes to other things. I find myself wrestling with that. I have energy for certain things, always. But somehow the energy wanes or I'm really tired or I can't wake up when it comes to disciplines, those rods that God's graciously given us and says, put those things in place and you're unshakable. See, the problem is we, we, we often, the problem with this is that we can't even quiet ourselves enough to realize that we need to be quiet. That was a guilty laugh, <laughs> whoever it was. It was that awkward, uh, yeah. But if we take a moment, how do we wrap our heads around this thing? It's no good me giving you a TED Talk, 24 points of how to find solitude. That's just going to end up in things like legalism or religion where you're just doing. There has to be something else that helps us get this in our heads and our hearts this morning. And often when it comes to that, my logical brain or my simple brain says, let's go look at the person who does this. Not only calls it out of it, but he displays it for us, and that's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ himself practiced this discipline. Now, if the Savior of the world needs this, guys, I'll leave that with a big question mark against you and yourself and your heart. How do we even pretend to be walking on our road of sanctification if we're able to go, yeah, that was good for you, Jesus, but don't worry, I've got this waxed, I've got this. Jesus Christ himself gives us examples of this thing of going silence and solitude in the presence of my Father. Matthew 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit led Jesus in this lengthy period of fasting and solitude. We see this in his life consistently. Matthew 14, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. We see in Mark 6, a whole lot is going on. John the Baptist has been beheaded. The disciples are out busy doing God's work. It is a frantic time. It's a chaotic time. A lot going on. People are being healed. Jesus is doing ministry. The disciples are doing ministry. People are all over them for the good of God and the kingdom. But even in that, Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to you and I this morning, there are moments in your life, even in the good things, not just the bad things, in your work, in your leadership at church, in your workplace, in your mothering, in your fathering, whatever it is, there's going to be busyness and there's going to be good things. He says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Jesus displays it and calls us to this discipline of silence and solitude. And so if we're going to be disciples and followers of Jesus Christ and find this discipline in our lives and practice it, uh, we, we have to maybe have a look at it quickly to see why we would even consider this. And so s solitude and silence is a part of your spiritual growth. 
In Isaiah 30, it says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. The word of God is clear for you and I. There are moments in your life where you need to step back and quiet yourself and allow God and his presence to be the thing that is busy with you. And so let's have a look at some of the things that silence and solitude are about and bring. Silence and solitude, it's it's like a pause button on your life and what's happening. A pause button, a moment or time to allow the presence of God to change us, to reform us, to sanctify us. Reform, Anthony, change things like my attitude, like my heart, my heart for others, my heart to be a person of action within God's kingdom. It changes my heart from being everything about me to be able to see people around me. To seek the creator instead of all the things that he has created. That I seek him out before I just seek out the beautiful things he has given us. And that's the problem. A lot of the things you and I are distracted on and, and put focus on are not necessarily bad in themselves. But when we put them above the creator and we start worshiping the creator instead of the creator, you find yourself in a lonely place. It sounds simple. And what does silence and solitude, it's quite hard to say that often. Let's all say that 10, I'm joking. Silence and solitude, it accomplishes something in us. It does something in our souls and in our hearts Firstly, it's a way of expressing worship to God. Worship of God does not always have to require your voice, sounds, or action. Sometimes worship consists of God-focused stillness and quiet. This is seen in Scripture. One of the verses that is, is showing us this is Habakkuk 2, when Habakkuk has seen what the realities of the situation, that the wall of Jerusalem is broken, it's torn down. He has been praying and he is on the, the path to restoring this and things are busy and things are intense. Habakkuk 2.20, Habakkuk reminds the people, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Be silent before your creator God. You can worship him in silence. Not just silence that's there for the sake of, but silence before him. There are times to speak to God, and there are times to simply behold and adore him in silence. It's a chance to seek the will of God. There are moments in your life, there are things that happen in your life, that without seeking the will of God, of what God's intention is in that thing, or God's will is that intent, would be a very, very risky way to live your life. Having the discipline of silence and solitude consistently through your life allows you to engage those things, like I said, with a rod of confidence in God. Not the situation, not what's happening, but confidence 
in God. So, so time to just be quiet before God for physical or spiritual restoration. Who doesn't need that in their life? Every now and again. To simply stop and allow God to refresh you physically and spiritually. Everyone has a regular need of that. Like I showed you in Mark 6 in that story. Even in all of those things, God understands that every one of us has to have the regular discipline of stepping out of that thing and allowing him to restore what needs to be restored. But to be honest, this isn't easy. I have not found this easy. Solitude can be difficult and beneficial all at the same time. Psalm 39, I was silent and still, and my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. (laughs) Is that a guilty laugh as well? My heart grew hot within me. I meditated. Show me, O Lord, how fleeting is my life. Each man's life is but a breath. Selah. What David's talking about there, there's a whole lot going on. But there's a moment in David's, in the song where David realizes it's not self-deprecating to say, my life is minute. It is not much to be proud about. But in the bigness and the sovereignty of God, it has meaning. And it has something of it that it's, it allows me to see God for who he is. But why do we struggle with this, people? Why do you and I struggle in the world in 2023, in March, in South Africa, right now, where your mind is on a whole lot? I'm not even going to list that because it'll just bring the mood down. But it's our reality. Why do we find this so hard? To have time for busyness. I think honestly in preparing for this and seeing myself, two, two things before I get into a couple of things. We're really naive about this. We're naive. We kind of put this on the side of like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it when I've got time. And two, the other thing is that we honestly see ourselves more than for what we are sometimes. And David showed us that, that often you, it's healthy to understand who God is. And who we are. Dr. Michael Zigaleri, I got that right. Messiah University, five-year research on the Christian faith. Five years, 22,000 people, completely anonymous. And he does a research to understand why the Christian person, faith and spiritual life is so is deteriorating and lacks. And he does a whole lot of things. You can find it online. He researches across countries, across nations. And he comes to this. And just listen to these words. My data does not include sufficient information to pinpoint why Christians are so busy, so hurried, and so distracted from their relationship with God. But if you allow me to conjecture, I think the problem may be described as a vicious circle prompted by cultural conformity. 
In particular, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to culture of busyness, hurry, overload, which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christian lives, which leads to three, deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five more conformity to a a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. Kind of just give you 10 seconds to process that. Do you put your name in there at all? Do you see your life in that cycle? Busyness, hurry, and overload. Busy, hurry, overload. Busy, hurry, overload. When I've got time, God, busy, hurry, overload. Often not even for bad things. Things that are justified. Work, children, this, that. But busy, hurry, overload. He goes on to say, one logical and faithful place to start by is adopting the wisdom of the Apostle Paul, who offered a remedy to this cultural conformity. And we know this, Romans 12, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does your mind get renewed? Not by yourself. That I can honestly tell you. We'd have testimony after testimony of people coming up here saying, I tried it. It comes from the presence of God having regular moments of building that steel rod of being God's presence and allowing him to define your identity. Carl Young says, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. But slowly, many Christians are being brainwashed into adopting a way of life that relegates God to the sides. And I think we're naive because we often, in this busyness, in the world and the culture, you and my, we find ourselves being passive is regarded as weak. Being somebody that's prepared to stop is not considered being somewhat uh, good. Everything around us is screaming to be busy, busy, busy. Your phone, how much do you touch your phone? I'm not even going, to, going into stats on what we do. 10 years ago, apparently, I think we spent zero time, and I think now it's up to five and a half hours a day you spend touching your phone. Five and a half hours on average. And we just get sucked into that vortex of that is what my life is about. That is who I am. And today is a reminder that God's like, no, that's, that's not your identity. We are so naive into thinking that, actually, you know what? Maybe this, this could be something that's trying to distract us from God. Adversary, the devil. He's going to consistently attack you at your identity, at the point of your identity. He will always go after us in the ways that makes us question, am I a daughter or son of Jesus? That's where he wants to get you. He wants to get you in that place where you are, his three major ways of doing that is noise, 
hurry, and crowds. If you can keep you busy on those things, he rests satisfied. Because then you and I get tripped up by those things. Or not, not tripped up, but sucked into those things that, oh, my job is my identity. My education is my, my family is, oh, my kids are my identity. I know, I said it. Even my, my kids, my relationship, that's my identity. Busyness, noise. Thomas Merton says the biggest contribution to our lagging or declining spiritual lives is efficiency. You see, digital, digital things came along and we were told this thing of like, this is going to make your life easier. It's going to make your life easier, more efficient, which will give you more time to relax. We're about 20 years in, guys. We've been, I'm sorry, it's, it's a good system of lives. It's, it, like, I'm not getting into conspiracy, but look at the facts. We, are not, we, we don't have more free time. We don't feel like that. If you are, tell me your secret. But that's the reality. This has not simplified our lives. This has caught us good. And so we struggle with it. And we can quite easily blame all of that, the culprit, oh, it's the world. But let's also get a bit honest. Silence before God also costs us some things. Because silence before God exposes our soul. If the emotions are the gateway to the soul, then silence exposes the soul. If you've ever had a real moment in the presence of God where your soul is laid bare and things are exposed, that's quite scary. It's quite unnerving. It's quite unsettling because then you realize, oh, Anthony's not perfect. But my mom said I was my whole life. Another lie. Sorry, mom. I'm not saying you lied, but you know. I have not got myself here. Being silent before God is sometimes something we kind of want to avoid because it's going to ask of us things. It's going to ask questions. It's going to expose your soul before your creator. Something else it's going to do is silence confronts the noises or the voices in your life. And sometimes those voices in your life have not been good. And they've caught you up. They've got their hooks in you. And your whole life has been defined by voices, negative voices, maybe abusive voices, maybe just voices that did not care. Maybe on the flip side, voices that just overaffirmed you the place where you struggle to think about anything else but yourself. In the silence, in the presence of God, when you're silent, he talks to those. And that's hard. That's tough. That takes work. But it's good for your soul. Silence before God teaches us to listen, not just to ourselves. Learning to listen just to God will also enable you to listen to the person next to you. Maybe your spouse, maybe your children, maybe someone in your small group, maybe someone at work. 
maybe someone in your extended family that that relationship is not good. Silence before God tests our need for noise. My wife always laughs at me, but if I walk into the house and I have to prepare dinner or something, the dinner's on, the TV's on, no one, I'm not watching it, it's just noise. I need noise, distraction. Why is that? That's quite arbitrary. But sometimes spending time in the presence of God in a very healthy way exposes that sometimes we put noises in our lives to drown out the voices, the need for my soul to be worked on, the need for me to control my voice, the need for me to listen to God, and we create these noises. Might not be physical noises, but things, things that just busy, hurry, overload. Busy, hurry, overload. So we can't stand here going, the world is evil and I'm innocent. Silence and solitude before God is a place for honesty. You see, in public, even in church, you can fake it. Even in your small group, you can maybe fake it. But before the presence of the Holy King, your creator, it's hard to fake it. Sometimes that's scary. And so sometimes, if we're honest, we don't really want to go into times of silence and solitude with God. But I want to ask myself and you to push for, push for this. And why is it worth it? Why would we want to put this thing of spiritual discipline, of having this consistent part in your life where you're before God in silence and solitude? The fruits that follow silence and solitude are worth the sacrifice of that noise and that time. It's worth it. We need to fight for it. We need to practice it. We need to commit to it. We need to sacrifice for it. You see, solitude moment after solitude moment, God honors those moments. It's not wasted. He's not a God that wastes those moments. And it starts reforming me, as I said. It starts sanctifying me. It starts showing me who I am and how much I need God and how good he is. How gracious he is with Anthony. How merciful he is with me. See, and as that happens, it's not just for my good. It's for, for the good of the people around me. Because now I start, in my sanctification, I can now start seeing my wife for who she is a daughter of that king. I can start seeing my kids as the gift of that king. Not my king, a gift from my king. I can start seeing the people in my small group as the people who they are and how God's working in them. And as our brain said before, what my role is to be a part of their life and help them to see God for who he is. We've become a church that are able to see each other. And we change, and we start understanding for real what the joy of the Lord is. Because in the times of solitude and silence before God, in the presence with your king, his face, as the word says, shines upon you. And that's where your joy comes from. 
And that's what allows you to carry another thing that scripture promises when you get to know God for who he is, the peace of God that transcends understanding. Do any of us feel the need for that kind of peace right now where you find yourself? Does that, does that not sound like something worth fighting for? We become more attentive. We, we, we become the kind of people that can be the people God intended us to because he is that steel rod that gives me my identity and my worth. And lastly, I'm going to ask the band to come up. Silence and solitude are a place of surrender. See, the act of you and I closing our mouths and opening up our ears is one of the purest way we surrender ourselves to God. We're about to go into a time of communion. We're going to do something a bit different today. As we go to a time of communion, and as I'm finishing off, in those moments of silence and solitude, you surrender yourself. And in that moment, as you surrender yourself, God reminds you of things. And there's a lot of beautiful things He reminds you, but at the center of all of them, what we're about to do is one of the core things. See, because it keeps me and you, not in check in a bad way like a naughty child, but it, it, it keeps your mind centered on this, that it was in his silence before his accusers and Pilate that Jesus preached the ultimate message of submission and surrender to the Father's will. The ultimate display he gives us of submission and surrender to God. And then on the cross, he surrendered himself up for your sins and imperfections and my sins and imperfections. And he endured the silence of his father towards him for you and I to be able to enjoy the presence of our father in silence. And three days later, the world would know that the good news of the resurrection, Jesus endured silence for the Father so that we may know the Father. It's worth fighting for. I'm going to ask us to stand. And like I said, we're going to do something different. I'm going to ask you to make your way up to the tables, get the elements, and go back to your seats. And we're going to go into a time of silence. Go for it. Start. It's a race.
What I'd like us to do is I'd like to lead us into a time of communion. But before we get there, I'd like it to lead us in a time of silence. And I know sometimes we do it together, but I really would like every single one of us as ourselves this morning, we're going to take two minutes. And there are some practical ways you've put solitude and silence into your life. I don't want to get into that now, but I want to ask that we maybe start today. Maybe this is the first time in your life. Maybe you've never done this in the presence of your king. Maybe this is regular for you. But this morning I want to ask as you, as a son or daughter of the king, we're going to take two minutes to be silent before our God, before our Father. The same God that we worshipped and said you're worthy of all the adoration, all the glory. We're going to spend two minutes in his presence. And then after two minutes, Quinton and the band are just going to play by themselves. We won't join in. While they're singing, you can take communion, and then we'll go back into corporate worship. Quinton will lead us. But I'm going to ask us to close our eyes. I'm going to just lead us into this time of silence. Like I've said, this is a discipline that God shows us. And as you go into this time in the presence of God and in the presence of the Holy Spirit, what might be with you as you start is maybe anxiety. Maybe, maybe you, your depression is there with you. Maybe if you're honest, just sheer apathy towards your walk with God. Maybe your religion is with you. Maybe your achievements, what you base your worth on, maybe they're voices from your present day or your past that stick with you your whole life and have defined you. Maybe your pride is with you. Maybe your anger is with you. Maybe your anger with yourself, with somebody else, with God. Maybe there's frustration. Maybe there's sin, addiction. But as we go into it, our gracious, mighty, glorious, merciful King wants to spend time with you. And he wants to work with you and remind you that you are his and he has you in the palm of his hand.